Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as fabulous. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Adam Richard. Hi! <laughs> Adam, I am compl- I, I've done a number of these now, mm. and all of them start with that intro and me reading out people's Twitter bios. Yes. Some have been only one word. Yes. No one has nailed it better than you. <laughs> it wasn't even... Well, I mean, it was my idea, but it was... Uh, yeah, the fabulous Adam Richard thing was just... It was a radio thing for a long time. Like when I used to be on the Matt, it used to be called the Matt and Joe Show with the fabulous Adam Richard. That was the full title of the show for about five or six years. Look, there's no harm in that because if your name's in the title, it's harder to get rid of you. But yeah, it was because uh, we were at a, we had a meeting like really early on, mm. and Matt Tilly said, you know, whatever we call Adam, that has to be what we call him all the time, yes. kind of thing. Because like Hamish Blake used to be on the show when he did uh, when it was Matt and Tracy, and he was called Street Bitch, mm. like that was his name. He used to just go out and do wacky yep. things on the street. Um, so yeah, Hamish Blake for a long time was just Street Bitch at the Back station. In the day, wow. I know, and I was like, oh god, <laughs> I don't want to be like, I don't want to have some terrible character and also Chris Bennett was on the show who's mm-hmm. also another stand-up who I'd worked with for a long time before we did radio and they'd changed his name to Benno no one had ever called him Benno in his life but it was the Matt Joe and Benno show it was Matt Joe and Benno with the fabulous <laughs> for eight months and um so I was gonna be whatever like you know stars bitch or you know red carpet hideous, like whatever they were going to come up with. And I suggested the fabulous Adam Richard. (laughs) (laughs) The implication being fabulous was a euphemism for gay. (laughs) (laughs) I never saw through that. I know. (laughs) And because seriously, they did, they just wanted, like, I don't know that they knew that I did stand up or anything, but they, like I did have an audition to be the third member of the team. Like it was me, Chris Bennett, and I think Dave Williams. Mm. Um, Like we all went in for an hour one day. Uh, with Joe filling in for Tracy to kind of see what it was going to yep. be like. Um, so, yeah, Chris got the job and they created this job for me of doing celebrity gossip. And one of my bosses did say to me after the show, that was great, Adam. Do you think you can sound a bit gayer tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> and this was in a meeting and I just went, yes, how does this sound? <laughs> <laughs> A multi-million dollar business. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Was that before or after you'd had the inductions around sort of health places, workplace health and safety and sexual harassment? We and- didn't have any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a boss once who told me I had to stop doing pressed hands in the studio. <laughs> I would like chuck brown eyes at people who were locked in, in sure. glass booths. Yeah. And I was like, oh, why? Is anyone complaining? He goes, no. And I went... Well, when someone complains, come and tell me. <laughs> your, your preemptive <laughs> attack on my <laughs> sexual harassment <laughs> is great, but as soon as HR come to me and tell me it's inappropriate, I will cease. <laughs> well, that, that opens the question to that, isn't it? It's only harassment if everyone involved is a, if someone involved is offended. Yeah, 
Essentially, yeah. It's like, I mean, you you do have to mind yourself. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying just go out and grab people on the boots. Sure. Like, it's, there's, things are inappropriate. But it was one of those things. It's like, if if anyone had complained about me, like, chucking brown eyes, I'd be like, yes, of course you should complain. It's revolting. <laughs> but, you know, it's a creative workspace and you can't, it's square pegs and round holes. Mm. Like, yes, radio station is, it's, it's like working in an office. Yep. But. On the other hand, is you you want people to be outrageous and you want people to get headlines and yeah. you know, like tell me that Kyle does anything even approaching normal behaviour in the office at any radio station he's worked at, and I would tell you you're lying. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's horrendous, and but he's also great fun, like yep. you know, to have in an office. But you know, it's yeah you. You can't expect someone to be that incendiary and that headline grabbing and also play by all the other rules. Like, mm. if you're asking them to break the main rules. <laughs> yeah. How can you pull them up on the other things? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's that, it's like Aesop's fable about the, is it the alligator or the snake and the monkey or whatever it is where he's going to swim across the river and he's like, oh, I don't want to swim on your back because you're going to eat me. And then halfway across he eats him. He's like, yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> <laughs> in my nature. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> the scorpion and the frog, whichever one it is. It's one of the Aesop's fables. <laughs> there's, an, there's a couple of animals involved mm. that aren't tortoises <laughs> and hares. But yeah, it's... Yeah, it's like when sometimes I would find out things at work, about mm. things at work, like, and I'd say, oh, is this happening? And my boss would be like, who told you that? How did you find that out? I'm like, what do you employ me for? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you employ me to dig up gossip. Like, the fact that I can do this that's not about actual celebrities. Don't be surprised that I found <laughs> things out that I'm not meant to know. <laughs> yes, I know that Person in Accounts did something with Person in Sales <laughs> last night at the Friday Night Drinks. But, you know, I'd, like, find out that someone was going to get the sack and they'd be replaced with someone else. And I'd be like, oh, is when someone's so coming? And they're like, how do you know about that? I'm like, it's what I do. <laughs> like, what are you... <laughs> Radio, at least the on-air experience of radio, yes. in in the time that you've been involved with it, has changed significantly in part because of some of the stuff that you just spoke about. The you know we need to expect people to stretch things, and we want them to yeah. to bend slash break rules and yeah. that sort of stuff. Sometimes when you break them, you fall over the cliff with them, and that causes quite some yes. pain. Yes, yes. <laughs> did did you find that to be creatively limiting when that? When those rules came into play? Oh, the rules were always there. Mm. Um, like, we always used to have a policy of ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Uh- <laughs> oh, oh. Undnamed radio network. <laughs> you, can see, you can see where things went horribly wrong. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. The, like, those rules were always there. Yes. And we did have training on them. And the more the rules got broken, the more training you had to have. Mm. Which was really annoying for us because we... I think we broke one rule once really early on. Mm. And after that, we kind of were fine. But because everyone else kept breaking the rules, we had to go to training. Um, <sighs> so, yeah, like the whole company has to have... Like it, it ended up being nearly fortnightly. Yeah. Like it was like... Wow. Like, yeah, it's just more training. Like, you just do the same training, yeah. but they just do it more often. It's reminding you of the fact that this is what you can yeah, do. This, this is, is what bad. you can say. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't it ask be- a girl about these things. <laughs> it became so bad that it was um, like they just put it online. We used to just do it at home. Mm. 
you just have to click some checkboxes and, you know, get 100%. Well, I think you get to get like 85% and you were fine. Um, but yeah, it became insane. But it's, you know, those rules were always there and the the breaking of them, it's, uh, it was always like a weird, there was always a political edge to it as well. Mm, yeah. It was, if the government were considering uh, getting rid of, which they have recently, getting rid of the cross-media ownership rules, mm. what that would mean is more regulation because mm. it's like a, 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 you know, a double-edged sword kind of thing. It's like, yeah. well, you can own more things, but then we're going to need to regulate those things a bit more heavily to make sure you're not abusing yep. the privilege you've been given. So whenever there was a sniff of media ownership being um, relaxed, there would be a bit more of a, a lean on on the regulations and what you could and couldn't do. The other thing, like, you know, the one thing everyone always sees is is Kyle. And, you know, he did a couple of things that were highly inappropriate. Mm. Um, and the, the only thing is like, you know, everyone would just go, oh, you know, they'd complain to advertisers, so advertisers would take their money, which would have an effect on everyone, not just Kyle. And then they'd be like, you, you've got to take him off air, you've got to take him off air. And I'm like, you know what? If there was someone that they could, they would take him off air if they could replace him, basically. Yeah. But if there was someone that was good enough to be to be in that place, to be in that chair... One of the other networks would have found them and programmed them against him. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, he's at a different station now and it's still, he's still rating really highly and the people of Sydney seem to absolutely adore him. So, yeah, and they've found, no station has found anyone to, yeah. to even challenge him, even remotely. So, I don't know what the, yeah, you go, yeah, get rid of Kyle, but it's like, then you create a vacuum and what's going to go in there? Like... Like, Kyle is a known quantity. <laughs> like, what is the unknown quantity that will come to fill that space? And and at this time, politically and yeah. socially and culturally, that's a really scary prospect. It is. So, I think if there was someone that could do that job better than him, they would exist and they would be, they would be at Nova or they would be at Today FM or they would be somewhere. Yeah. But as it is, yeah, it's just Kyle. And wow. Jackie, she's an enabler. <laughs> <laughs> she is. I love her. <laughs> oh, they have totally worked out their relationship. Yeah, it is. Like he says something horrendous. Yeah. She goes, I'll stop it, Carl. You can't say that. Which is one of the things they teach you. Yes. Like that's one of the things we learn in our little, you know. Uh, our training. The training things. Well, it's not so much training. It's more like if someone says something that might that people might take offence to it, then if as long as someone on the show takes an opposite position or rather than apologising for their behaviour but seems to be challenging yeah. their behaviour or challenging their position, then you're essentially covered. It's yeah. like, well, Jackie told Kyle that was inappropriate. I mean, that was the, that was the big thing with, the, with I think, that, that terrible incidence with that poor girl mm. that they had on the lie detector was there was no kind of backing away from it and there was no kind of also i don't this is i suspect for some time that that was a pre-recorded segment yep um 
which would be like you know their their biggest get out of jail card was the fact that it went out live but all the times we ever did uh, a lie detector, we had to pre-record them because the lie detector bloke would take ages to tell us <laughs> yes. whether or not they were lying because they've got to read the things and go, oh, yeah, that's... Yep, based on the other things and comparing it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not an instantaneous, you know, red light comes on, it's a lie. So, unless they were just doing voice stress analysis, which is a different thing, but which is an actual lie detector. But, yeah, it's a... Yeah, but that that never came out, so maybe it was a live thing. Maybe they were just faking the lie detector. I don't know. But every time we did a lie detector, we had to pre-record it because we had to cut out all the, um, that is a lie. He <laughs> <laughs> was so boring, a lie detector man. You <laughs> 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 sit there with his laptop and you just sit there. Like you get no flow going in an interview to be like, uh... Yeah, that is correct. It's he's telling the truth. Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Our poor production man's going to be sitting here for hours cutting out all your ums and ahs. Yeah, that's right. Can you turn this fifteen-minute thing into ninety <laughs> seconds of snapping? Oh, don't. I did so many interviews. <laughs> like I'm terrible at interviews now because my interviews for so long were just as as long as I could, I had to get like a sixty-second bit out, like a three and a half-minute segment. Sure. And my interviews had to be one bit of the segment, unless it was a really good one with someone really famous. Yes. Then it could be the whole three and a half minutes, but otherwise it was like. It was just a sound grab. I was just looking. I was just trying prodding people, hoping to get them to say something that I could use. <laughs> I had a fight with Charlotte Dawson on the phone once. <laughs> just to try and make her say because I knew she would if I if I got it rolled up. And yeah. she did. She just went. Bah, 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 bah. I was like, there we go. That'll do. Thanks, Thanks Charlotte. Charlotte. She's, like, she's like, what is that all? I went, yeah. I just needed to, like I don't need sixty seconds. She's like, oh, just rang me up. Just some random calling me about eight o'clock in the morning. Went, yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> It's going on the radio now. Okay, bye. <laughs> so wrong. My job was awful. I loved it. <laughs> Do you set similar or, or any kind of rules uh, around yourself when it comes to your comedy? Um, yes and no. Uh, like, I, you know, I try not to be too horrendous. Like, I'm quite revolting when it comes to talking about sexuality. <laughs> But you know, I that's that's more of a conscious choice. Like it's, uh, mm. you know, for so long I was the just you know giggling gay guy on the radio, and for some reason palatable homosexuality is always like we never use the word sexuality. Like mm. even though it's there, it's a part of the word. Yeah. But for some reason, to make it palatable to the general public, we are not allowed to talk about the actual sexuality. So when I do stand-up, I am quite blue and quite graphic sometimes, um, which I've had audiences go, <laughs> um, and that's kind of a conscious choice to go, it's, you know, it's, it's not all, mm. you know, just us giggling and saying, oh, Thorpey. <laughs> <laughs> like it's... <laughs> like it, yeah. Like, it's, I, yeah, I've never been one of those people. <laughs> like for me, it's always been about pushing a little bit at the boundaries. Sure. Like for a while it was just being visible, just being a visible yep. gay guy. And now there's plenty of them. So now for me, it's more about, um, yeah, making people uncomfortable with the idea of being gay. It's like, no, oh, we forgot that that's where you put your dicks. I'm like, yes. <laughs> messy back there. 
You might want to ring ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure I vacuum the back passage. Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's another one of my favourites, is, <sighs> is saying something revolting but never actually saying anything revolting. <laughs> Can lead a horse to water. <laughs> yeah, like it's that's yeah. It's kind of you can't you can't swear and do innuendo. Like you have to choose one. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you say something, as soon as you swear, you any innuendo has kind of lost its power. Yes. But so yeah, there's a there's a real fine line of yeah. But yeah, doing I just you know I just love doing stand up. It's fun. I love taking a contrary position than what people expect. Like, yes, I have a whole bit about you know how I don't want gay marriage. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's fun. But no, I don't really. I've never really thought about. Yeah, trying not to be too misogynist. Like mm. I know that that is a thing with a lot of my people, and sometimes they can be terribly racist. So mm. trying not to be that person. Um, but you know. It's, uh, you know, we each set our boundaries, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Do you find that the Adam on stage is a close facsimile, a facsimile of you in real life or is it there's these hyper real moments and I separate Adam the character comedian to Adam off stage? Um, it, for a long time there was. Like, I used to call him the fabulous Adam Richard and he very, he annoyed me a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now I think the line is kind of blurred a bit. Mm-hmm. Um I'm a bit more comfortable just talking in my own voice on stage now. Yes. Uh, like, I still... is. It is a bit hyper-real. It's, you know, no one... I don't talk in that many punchlines in real life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... Yeah, there's... It's kind of blurred a little bit. But that's more to do with me being more comfortable in my own skin... Yes. ...as a person. And feeling like I can deal a bit better without wearing the armour of someone who is, you know, potentially terrifying mm. with a put-down. Like, it's... Yeah, when when an audience rejects you, or even if it's just one person in the audience says something horrendous, if you're essentially playing a character on stage, then that never actually gets through to the real you. Yeah. Like, it kind of bounces off the armour of the person you're pretending to be on stage. So when you are a bit more like yourself on stage, there is that danger of, oh, okay, so they're rejecting me, mm. not the person I'm pretending to be. But yeah, then if but if you're fine in your own in your own skin, if you feel okay with yourself, then yeah, the then those barbs aren't gonna hurt anyway. Yes. So it's yeah. It's a weird it's a weird job we do. <laughs> Yeah, it would be. <laughs> it's really strange. What do you find challenges you? Um, I don't know. I'm in a bit of a transition at the moment. Like I, this December is the 20th anniversary of my very first stand-up gig. Wow. I know. Congratulations. I'm an old lady. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because it feels like I just started last Thursday. So it's... <laughs> Like it, like twenty years is a long time, yeah, and it doesn't yeah. feel like it. So it's yeah, I don't feel like a forty-five-year-old man. Um, I know I look like one, <laughs> but yeah, it's. But so yeah, I feel like I've done everything I could possibly do from doing stand-up. Like mm. I feel like it, I've done it all, and there's nothing 
like I'm not really learning anything. I'm not really like I've done all the things you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the challenge for me now is is to find things that excite me and 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 make me work really hard. Yes, as opposed to because I do feel that I can just turn up to things and be hilarious. Like that's mm. and that has something that's only really come to me in the last three or four years. Like I used to have to really, I used to panic about it. I just think I'm never going to say anything funny. I'd pre, I'd prepare like crazy. I'd, wow. you know, like it was, it was working on Spicks and Specs that made me feel like, oh, I can just be funny. Yeah. Like I am able to, so whenever I do people's podcasts now, I'm fine with turning up with nothing. Yep. Absolutely nothing. And like when we, when Justin and I do the show, it's like he, for the first few, he would say, I'm going to talk about this in the opening and do you want to talk about this and this and this? And like after the, I think the second or third one, I was just like, I'll be fine. <laughs> it's just whatever you, whatever you want to start with, I'll be fine. And yeah. like, you know, I would just, you know, things would come out. Sometimes they'd be hilarious. Sometimes they'd be vaguely amusing. Or, you know, if I was floundering, Justin would say something. Or, you know, we just rescue each other if yeah. we get into a hole. It's So, yeah, it's... I'm... Yeah, I'm really comfortable with who I am in those situations. So I'm fine with that kind of thing now. Yes. Uh but yeah, so I don't so I don't feel like there's anything in this side of doing things that's challenging, but I've been doing other stuff that I've been finding really interesting um while still doing this as a job. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's yeah, it's about, you know, I don't know, I haven't I haven't really started down any one particular path. <laughs> Like I'm, I've got my toes in various different pools. Yes, and just going, oh, what's this like? What's that like? So it's yeah, it's kind of fun. But yeah, I feel like I've learned all I possibly can from this. I'm not going to stop. No, I hear. <laughs> I hope not because I love it. But yeah, it's not as challenging as uh, as it was once upon a time. Sure. But then, if you do anything for twenty years, I mean, you're still finding it challenging. Maybe you should find a different job. <laughs> to get laughs yes because you're shit (laughs) (laughs) you've been shit for 20 years how have you never noticed that (laughs) (laughs) that's right with the audience is not a giveaway (laughs) that's that 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 is a really hard thing because audiences change like you you know like uh, if you go and do like you know circuit spots like all the kids are in their 20s yeah and so for me it's that the only challenge is convincing them that a 45-year-old faggot has something to say that they might be interested in. Mm. Um, and that's been, that's been fun, uh, that challenge. Not that it's much of a challenge, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's finding a mindset of people who are half your age mm. and, and, you know, trying to find a, a piece of commonality. But, you know, there's always something. Um, and, yeah. But it's been fun. It's, you know, it has been a fun 20 years. It's it's the longest I've ever done anything in my life, which is weird. I can, I can imagine. Yes. Yeah. It's it's, it's a, a fairly surreal business to be involved in. Mm. You know, the entertaining of people through the telling of jokes. With all just, yeah. And it's always at the wrong time of day. People <laughs> don't want to be entertained nine to five. <laughs> people want to be entertained at six in the morning or at ten at night. <laughs> Not uh, it's it's not good for your circadian rhythms. 
Sleep patterns out the window. Yeah, totally. It's ridiculous. Hi- hypothetical. Mm. I am uh, a TV producer. Yes. Adam, we've seen your work on television. Yes. We know you're a great comedian. Yes. We'd love to have you involved in ce- celebrity relationship fixer upper Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you know how many conversations I've had of this nature? <laughs> Well, given how many shows you've been on, yeah, at I, least that many. That many for the shows I've been on. There's all the other shows I haven't been oh. on that never got made. I had all those conversations yes. as well. Like 2003, I think I did 30 pilots. It was like wow. the... I know. it was That was my year. Uh, that's, that's the house deposit. Yeah. Well, no. You don't get paid for half of those th- shit things. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's the promise of when it gets to series, yeah. you'll get some cash. Like, you know, like there would be pilots that were just a sizzle reel. Like where you film like maybe seven minutes of yeah. like, so you just spend one day doing it. You go, this isn't a pilot, this is a pitch. Mm. Um, but everyone calls everything a pilot. I did a whole bunch of radio because um, it was 2003 was the year everyone finished doing radio. Same as 2013. Sure. In Melbourne, everyone stopped and a whole bunch of other people started. Um, and yeah, the same thing happened in 2003. And that was the year that I started doing uh, um, Matt and Joe show on in... Yes. On Fox FM. So, yeah. But I had been doing Triple J up to that point. So, people on Triple J get a lot of uh, notice for some reason. Yep. Um, so, yeah. I did all these. I did a bunch of ridiculous shows. Like, terrible shows. One show I did, I was a judge on a... It was, like, it was basically Australia's Got Talent versus Red Faces. Like, it was this weird mix of a show. Mm. There was It was hosted by Kyle... And Dylan Lewis, Carl Sandilands and Dylan Lewis, of course it was. who had been like a really interesting, that had this weird, interesting friendship on Celebrity Big Brother. And yes, so they did. Yeah. Channel 10 threw a pilot at them. Wow. <laughs> but, so they hosted this terrible show and I was a judge on a panel with Cornelia Francis. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and Kyle's nan. <laughs> I know. And I was determined to make a 13-year-old red-headed kid cry. Uh, <laughs> and then the producer's like, oh, can you not? Because, you know, they're, they're not getting paid, the contestants. You know, no oh. one's getting any money. They think that this show's going to go to series and they're going to get on the telly. And so he sang Life is a Cabaret, like this kid, this 13-year-old kid. He was adorable. Yeah. But, you know, it's a really full-on song. Yes. Like, their lyric content is yes. quite adult. So I... <laughs> I just had a go at his parents for letting him sing that on oh. TV. <laughs> I mean, you're very talented, you're very skilled, but I don't think that's appropriate content for this time slot or for your age, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> your parents should know better. Have they listened to the lyrics you're singing right now? Have they seen this musical? It's very grown up. Like, the, when the woman's singing this, she's just terminated a, a, a child. So I don't really... <laughs> like, I just was being Gosh. horrendous. Because it is. That's what just that's yeah, what's yeah, happened yeah. in the in the in the play. You're unloading on. <laughs> oh this yeah, thing. this like well, I unloaded on his parents. <laughs> yeah, sure. But yeah, who weren't in camera shots? <laughs> oh, I think they put the cameras on them and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, they're, they're out the back with James Matheson. They're old enough to hear all this. Staring. <laughs> I know it was before the days of that kind of shit. Like it was before the weird green room chats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is bizarre. But yeah. Cornelia and I drank all the wine in the fridge before Good. the show started. Okay. It was... <laughs> but yeah, so I did a whole bunch that year. That was my year of doing... So I've, yeah, I've had a number of those conversations. Did any of them get up? Any of those hundreds of things that you did? No, none of them. But you've done a number <laughs> just the, of just other the, things the, since the, as a part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the Matt and Joe show was yeah. the only one I did that... 
and yeah, my role was very different, as I said. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've done heaps of stuff since then. Which was the one that you found most enjoyable? Um, probably Spicks and Specs, mm. like, which I didn't think I would. Because I'd enjoyed doing the show in the past. It was so fun. Oh, thank you. It, I, I just, it was one of those things like, I'd gone for an audition to be a team captain on Tractor Monkeys. Yes. Um, and it was me and Anne Edmonds and it was a fucking disaster. It was the worst <laughs> thing that had ever happened. <laughs> and I had just got off a plane from Edinburgh. And like, she was like jet lagged out to next week. It was like she didn't even know where she was. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was just like, the, it was messy. And mm. then I got, then I, I think I ended up doing that show like, like then I made like 12 episodes or something. And I think I did four of them. <laughs> A quarter of them. Yes. Um, they kept calling me in when someone was sick uh, or couldn't make it. So, yeah, I did heaps of that. And sick. It, sick. Well, you know, well, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I've seen it now. I don't want to be on. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it was... Uh, so, I'd done that and I kind of, like... I didn't really enjoy the experience of auditioning. I thought, oh, God, yeah. this is terrible. I don't think I like this show. I'll probably get it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, I did enjoy doing it as a guest. Um and then the speaks thing came up and I just went and auditioned and I thought, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. It's mm. not a... I was, I'd also decided, before I went to the audition, I had decided I was going to finish up radio because it was my 10th yes. year of doing radio. And then they they decided they weren't going to go forward with the show anyway. So it was like, like my boss rang me and was like, we've decided not to continue the Matt and Joe show next year. I'm like, yeah, okay. And he's like, is, is that all? I went, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and we had like, we had a, a conversation in the office and... He was all kind of, you know, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, we were looking for something to do with you for next year, but I just don't think we've got anything. And I was like, oh, I was going to leave next year anyway. I just didn't want to tell you because I'm a casual. I didn't want you to stop me working next Thursday. <laughs> He's like, why did you let me have this long conversation? I'm like, I liked watching you squirm. <laughs> but yeah, it was, so I kind of decided I was going to finish up and then the audition came and I was like, oh, this is actually really fun. And I'd done it. A gig with Josh a week before he'd been hosting yes. something, Josh Earl. And I was like, oh, he's awesome. This is fun. And then during the audition process, like I worked with a bunch of different people hosting mm. and I was sometimes a contestant and sometimes a team captain. And every time I worked with either Josh or Ella, it was the most fun. Like yeah. I was like, oh, I actually want this job now. I really want this job. Uh-huh. And... And one of the producers obviously really liked me and kept giving me direction. He'd say, oh, we need less of this, more of this. So the next day I would do another audition and I would give him more of that and less of the other thing. And then he was like, oh, my God. He goes, you're really good at taking direction. I'm like, oh, I can do anything. I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when the when the show finally happened, it was awesome. And I loved it. And everyone like everyone behind the scenes was amazing. Um, every, every, every aspect of it was a pure delight. Absolutely wonderful. And so... On some level, I'm glad it didn't go past the first season mm-hmm. because I would have just sat there for 20 years. Happily. Just quite happily, yeah. having a good time. I would have loved it. But like I was saying before, I would not have felt challenged. I would have gotten to a point where I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. This is easy. Oh, there's Grandmaster Flash. How's it going, old mate? <laughs> like just <laughs> It just becomes this weird, jaded thing that you do every week. And... And I loved it and it was amazing. And and it is one of those things, like we all loved it so much that, you know, sometimes when you do a job, you 
if it's really good, you it it never lasts. It's never mm. like no one ever gets to like four or five years into something and says, ah. Oh, yeah, I think I've had enough of this. Like, you always get to, like, a year or something, and you're like, oh, God, I hate this. I never want to do it again. I'm not signing up for next year. How much money? All right, one more year. <laughs> <laughs> like, the things that go on forever are the things that shit you. <laughs> <laughs> and the things that are amazing, are, you know, they're like a butterfly. They don't live very long. And they're beautiful and amazing, but they aren't ne- necessarily short-lived yeah. because they're amazing. And, yeah. It's a weird thing in the entertainment industry. For some reason, the only things that ever go forever are the things that shit you. Like, like I loved working in radio. Like, I loved the when we were on air. Yes. That 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 bubble in the studio was amazing. But there's so much fucked about working in radio. <laughs> like, it's you know, it's thousands of meetings, and it's just really. And I, you know, on a fortnightly basis, I would be like, I can't do this anymore. I've had enough. I'm leaving. I'm quitting at the end of the year. And then you go on holidays for two weeks. And you're like, yeah, well, right. I'll do another three months. Like, <laughs> So yeah, whereas yeah, I would never have had that with uh, with the ABC. Well, maybe once publicity got their hands on us, I would have. Oh. But <laughs> but it, yeah, oh. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's like an oxymoron. ABC publicity. Oh. Some I deal with ABC publicity a lot. Of course you do. Some things they have done very well. Well, they're very good at publicising Doctor Blake. Yes, they are. <laughs> Yes, they are. They would they would talk about Dr. Blake in our meetings. I'm like, where? Why is you bringing him up? Mm, unless <laughs> he's going to come on in, as Dr. Blake and sing Mona. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they're, they're, that's all. But it's because that's their audience. Their audience loves Dr. Blake. Yep. They don't actually have to do anything to promote Dr. Blake, so it's easy for them. Yeah, it's the stuff that gets hard, and and I'll cite I'll cite this possibly at my own detriment. Mm-hmm. The much lauded and and promoted via other circles mm. drama series Clever Man is coming. Yes, this is from the little grab that I've seen, and I have started into episode one. Yeah, it looks to be a cracking drama. Yes, I don't think ABC Publicity know how to promote it. No, they don't know how to promote drama or comedy or anything that's not a detective show on a Friday night. They don't and know how to they're promote. Making, they're making their Thursday night eight thirty, particularly, but Clever Man's going to slide in after yeah. Blake until it finishes. Um, they're making Thursday nights Australian drama night. Yeah, which and is which is sensible. That's where they had um, wasn't that where they had time of our life in the yes. second season. But yeah. they're all year. It's owned. It's just yeah. written off with Australian drama, which is fine. But some of those things they're promoting better than others. Yeah, and it's like guys, if. Yeah, I, let's I, tighten this up a bit. I had to interview at one of the terrible New Year's things that I'd been roped into. Terrible. <laughs> it's such a subjective term. <laughs> well, like, it's, it's necessarily terrible in parts because it goes for four hours and nothing is going to be amazing for four hours. Yeah, but it's not terrible to me who's sitting at home <laughs> when my wife and kids have gone to bed and I'm going, oh, I'm watching this sucker just run into the harbour. This is happening. But yeah, so they, because it's New Year's, you can't, like just go to a party and think, oh, there's going to be people there who we'll just run into and have an interview with. Yes. So they had to plan everything weeks in advance. So I knew weeks in advance I'd be talking to Roger Corsa mm. at the New Year's party because he was in, uh, was it Blink? Was that, was that the name of the show? Glitch. Glitch. It had a name. <laughs> Glitch. <laughs> um, so I had to talk to him and there was a strict 
no zombies. <laughs> you could not mention zombies. I'm like, but they all come back from the dead. Yes, but you can't say that they're zombies. I'm like, oh my God, what... What world do we live in where you can't even use a promotable part of the show to promote the show? Yep. Like, what is that? Because they were afraid it was going to turn off the people who normally watch the ABC. It's like, none of them are watching New Year's at 10pm. <laughs> <laughs> and the target demographic for that show aren't watching New Year's at 10pm. No, no. Like, and the target demographic want to know that there's zombies in it. Oh, that's it? The, the catch is that... <laughs> The difficulty. Like even Roger was like, I went, are you? He goes, don't say the word. I went, I know, I'm not allowed, but are you dead? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yes. I'm like, and are you still in the show even though you're dead? He goes, yes. I went, right, good. (laughs) It was a really odd conversation. (laughs) But yeah, like, like, oh. Yeah, I know they've got no money. They've got no resources at the ABC, and I None. can't complain. Like negative, in fact, I'm yeah. pretty sure that they have to borrow money to do things. That's the other thing. Like you know, things that you take for granted on a TV budget, like costuming. Mm. Like the ABC have to pay for everyone's clothes. Yes, they have to pay for them. No one in commercial television ever has to have clothes paid for. Like Adam, they- have you got pants and a shirt that's buttoned up? Yep, wear that. What? The- Not even that. Like commercial TV is like. We've got four companies. They all want to dress you. <laughs> Here are all the outfits. Oh, yeah. You choose up. one. Yeah. And they all they have to do is at the end credits run. Here's a logo. Or yeah. Yep. They're allowed to do that. The ABC are not allowed to do that. Uh, so they have to like they have to go out and purchase clothes for you. Or if you're a guest, you have to wear your own clothes. Uh, the other thing that, you know, like just little things like that. Like, you know, catering. Mm. You know, TV networks don't have to pay for catering. They just have to have a little logo at the end of the show and people will throw food at them. You know, they don't have to pay for anything. The ABC have to pay for everything. So when you get to the ABC, there's like three sushi rolls and a a bit of Turkish bread and a dip that they've had to go and get from Aldi. And, and, you know, some some soft drink. Like it's... And they've had to pay for all of that. I remember going into a meeting at... When I was doing uh, my TV series, Outland, we went to a meeting with the casting director and she said, oh, do you want a biscuit with your tea? And I was like, yeah, sure. She goes, all right, don't tell anyone. I've stole these off the Bread of Roses. <laughs> Bread of oh. Roses the production department. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, you can't even have a biscuit. And like, in the, like, they've since updated it, but we went into a boardroom where not a single chair matched. There were all these mismatched chairs. It looked like it had been furnished from an shop like it was the worst and I just went I don't know like how the government can even think that it needs to have its budget slashed because there's no money in there yeah like it's that building smells damp (laughs) (laughs) this is this is the building at Ripponlee isn't it yes yeah it's dank yes it is not cool it's you know they 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 film TV shows set in the sixties there because that hasn't been finished, fixed since then. <laughs> like they filmed the Graham Kennedy movie there because they didn't need to paint the walls. No, they didn't even need to get like tables and chairs and stuff. Like they countdown just them in the the Molly thing. They didn't need to yep. do anything with it at all because no. it's all still there. Yeah, all that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the brown brick and the, it's that building. Oh, my God. Kev Carlin, who directed the Molly movie, directed our TV show, and I remember him being horrified <laughs> at just the way... Because, like, you lose a whole day doing a TV show at the ABC. Like, you... There's so many 
rules about how long people can work and what you know what the schedules are like that yeah. it actually yeah you lose a day of your budget that on a commercial production you would never have to worry about like it's really I love it because they do innovative stuff that no one else will do but it is a minefield <laughs> oh. of yeah just things like yeah I know a commercial station, you'd get two episodes out and you'd never see the light of day. But, yeah, there there has to be a better way. (laughs) There has to be. It just seems nonsensical (laughs) that it runs on the smell of an oily rag. Why did we let let them take all that money away from them? I don't understand. My best read on that is because the government of the day went, here's an area where we can save a whole bunch of cash and... It's in our best interest if we take it off them because they have all these other programs yeah. that question us in ways that the commercial networks don't. Yeah, I, look, I get that part of it, but I just, you know, if you want, like, because one of the things they said they wanted to get rid of was all the dead wood. And yes, there are a lot of people who work for the organisation who've been there forever, yes, and are never going anywhere and probably don't do anything. But you can't get rid of those people with less money. Because they all have to be retrenched and that costs money. Like you have to pay those people out. So the cheapest thing to do is leave them there. (laughs) So if you take money away from them, all you're doing is getting rid of the last people who joined who are probably actually eager and want to work there and want to do good stuff. You're leaving all the problems in place. Yeah, all the problems are are still there. Like no one's one's leaving. Like no one's one's quitting a government job. Least of all at the ABC. No. So, yeah, it's uh, like less money is not the answer to getting rid of carbuncles. <laughs> Spend money to make money, people. Yeah. Yes, you do. Adam, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? 12 months? Oh, my God. Is this a job interview? Uh... <laughs> um, I've got a mortgage to pay. Uh... <laughs> So what do you got? <laughs> I will achieve not getting, not losing my house. Um, <laughs> uh, the next twelve months, I've been doing a bit more writing. Um, mm. I have been writing a bunch of different things, which I don't really want to say out loud because as soon as I say them out loud, then I'll feel like I've done them and I don't need to finish them. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly my problem. Yeah. <laughs> I have to write this review. Oh, no, I've written it. Uh, it's done. I've written it because I said it out loud. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have a bunch of things that I'm doing uh, in various different media. Um, not many of them performance-based. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I just... As, a, as, as to achieving anything, I think I've achieved everything I could possibly want to in this career. Like, I don't really... I had my own TV show, which I wrote, which mm. I was in. I was a which captain was on a panel show. Thank you. Um, I worked in radio for 10 years, which is a ridiculous amount of time mm. to be on. Like, to maintain the ratings that we did for the entire time yes. is amazing. Like, that's a huge achievement in and of itself. And they're an amazing team to work with. Um, I've done a whole bunch of uh, stand-up shows I'm really proud of. I've done podcasts that I'm really proud of. I, yeah, I I feel like there's, like, I don't know that there are many, many challenges for me left in performing. So I think it. I need to go back to what I started doing before I started doing stand-up, which mm. was 
I was writing. I was I was studying um, professional writing and editing at RMIT, and then just fell into doing stand up. So yeah, going back to doing what I had intended to do from the age of five. <laughs> there is still time for you to become the voice of your generation. <laughs> I don't want to be the voice of my generation. It's like I did a, I did a thing with like Reese Nicholson the other week, and he was talking to me like I was the, you know, the first. Gabo that ever did stand up. I'm like, I'm not, surely. Like I was the only one for a while, but surely I was, you know, and I never I never set out to be and I never wanted to be and I never said, you know, that I'm I'm the first ever gay stand up. Cuz I re- I read someone someone once said that Adam bills himself as I'm like I've never billed myself as that ever in my life. Wow. And I never wanted to, mm. but you know, it's I am older than all those assholes. <laughs> but yeah, it's not a Yeah, if it does like I don't I don't want to be the voice of anyone's generation. I just like being my voice. Mm. Like it's I think that's the problem. Like some people do set out to be the voice of their generation and they're really fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> like I've always been the person I always say you know, there's there's doing people and there's saying people. You know, people who say they're going to do something and then they never actually do it. And then there's people who just get on and do the work. Mm. And I've always been someone who said, you know, rather than advocating for change and trying to shake the tree, just be the change. Be the difference that you want to see. Mm. And hopefully it will just happen. It doesn't mean you led the charge or you were behind it or you were responsible for it but in some way by just being being the difference that you think there should be in the world then you know people will just think that that's normal well it creates a new normal doesn't it yeah it allows the transition for us to go from we thought normal was this yeah but with if we just really microsize it if we include adam in mm. it then well the new normal has a person yeah. who is homosexual in it Big yeah deal. Well, that, that, I mean, and that was, again, a weird radio thing, which was, you know, we used to have like a saying which was narrow your focus to broaden your appeal. So if you like narrow, like focus on one particular kind of person, which yeah. for our radio station was a, a 30-year-old woman with maybe one or two kids living in the suburbs. Like that was who our entire... Sharon, who was her yeah, name. Yeah, it was her name. <laughs> but yeah, our whole, we were all aimed at that one person. Yep. And the hope would be that that people would come along. Yes, all the other ride. Sharons would listen. Yeah, or and you know, not Sharons, you know, the single women and the old women and the young women would all kind of just fall in line and go, yeah. oh yeah, no, I really enjoy this show that's aimed at Sharon. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and that so that's kind of part of it. And you know, and it, and it has worked to some extent. Like, you know, I meet kids now who, well, not kids, they're adults, but you know, who were kids when I was doing radio who came out to their parents and said, you know, my mum used to love you on the radio and so I just found it really easy to come out because yes. I knew that, you know, she would she would be fine with it because mm. she was fine with you because you were there in the car every morning when I was getting mm. dropped off at school talking about Lindsay Lohan. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I was there. That was the, the main point of doing it for me. Like, you know, yeah. aside from making a ridiculous amount of money. But... <laughs> But yeah, like that was, you know, the, those days where I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm shitted off. You know, the, 
have murdered a nurse. This company's terrible. <laughs> like there were days where I go, no, no, no. There's still there's still good things about it. There's still, yep. you know, I have a voice and I, you know, we reached a third of the population. Like our mm. queue was like a million people or something in a city of three million. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so, huge. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was an amazing thing to be a part of for such a long time. So yeah, just being just being me. Like I don't. I don't want to be anyone else. I don't want to try to be anyone else. It's, you know, their shoes don't fit. They're very uncomfortable. <laughs> I have enough trouble walking in these shoes. <laughs> I hear that loud and clear. I'm a heavy set girl. Got fallen arches. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much. Oh, that's all right. I'll talk about chance. anything. I know. It's been wonderful. Thank you for the chance to chat with you today. Anytime. Uh, please know the things you've said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you. Oh, bless you. It's very truthful. I feel like I'm at therapy now. You're valued. <laughs> I'm a valuable member of the team. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's my mantra today. <laughs> Be positive. <laughs> very clearly you're on, on Twitter. Yes. Are at, there any other social Adam accounts? Richard. I got in early. I got my name. Well done. <laughs> One of the few. <laughs> uh, are there any other social accounts that you want to admit to or alert? Oh, I'm on the Instagram, but I don't post that often. Mm-hmm. That's at Adam Richard. And I'm on the Facebook, which is uh, fabulous Adam Richard. Because um, there wasn't another Adam Richard. I was late to that one. <laughs> 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 there might not have been. I'm not sure what I did there. Um, and uh, my website, adamrichard.com, which I don't post to that often either. But And I've got a mailing list, yes. which I do sometimes send out an email to people. Just saying hi. Just say hi. What's going on? What's going on? Do you want to go to the shops? (laughs) (laughs) I've got to buy some headphones. Who's coming? (laughs) (laughs) This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Adam Richard is indeed human.